Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Surge. It is great to see you here this morning. We are continuing our character sketch uh, series. And, and just so you know how a character sketch is used by authors, um, what they will do is they'll actually write a short description of the character, including a physical description, some key personality traits, some motivations, some things that are key to them. And you think, well, do, do you really need to do that if you're writing a book? Do you really need yet? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If you're G.R.R. Martin and you've written 5,000 pages and you have probably more than 1,000 characters, you might want to refer back to that guy <laughs> and go, who is, who is he? Who's his mother? Who, who is this guy again? When you're hold, you can't hold that many things in your head. And so a character sketch is something that authors use to help them with fiction. And now in our case, we're actually looking at characters in the Bible, in Scripture, to help us learn from their lives and their exploits and the things that they did and maybe even the things that they didn't do. But we're trying to get to a, a place where we can see some things from a character in Scripture and then make a great spiritual application to our own lives. So last week we did Elisha and saw some things in a different way. And this week we are doing, anybody want to take a guess? Luke. We're doing Luke. The character of Luke, the beloved physician. <laughs> now, now, I myself am not actually a doctor, but I will play one on TV about 7 o'clock tonight on Sur The Surge Online, so you're welcome to join us for that. Um, but I, I do have to do one, one doctor joke. Uh, so a guy went to the doctor. He gets some tests run. The doctor comes back in and says, sir, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I have some bad news for you. And the guy says, just, just give it to me straight, doc. I can take it. Just give it to me. And the doctor says, you don't, have, you don't have very long to live. You're, you're going, it looks like you're going to die in 10. And the guy says, 10? 10, 10, 10 years? 10 days? 10 months? 10, 10 what? And the doctor says, 9. <laughs> you know, if, it hurts, if it hurts when you do, do this, then don't, don't do that. <laughs> That's what my, my professional medical advice. See, uh, and also I get to do this, and I've always wanted to do this, so we can, we can set this out. Excellent. Can anybody see? Can, anybody, can people see that? Okay. Five cents. All right. So, um, so the character of Luke is a really, really fascinating character. I had such a good time looking at him in Scripture and thinking about this this week, and, and this is going to be really fun. So the, the, actually the name Luke, the guy that, that wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, we actually know his name from three instances in the New Testament. He's only mentioned three times. I'm going to give them all, all to you here. The first one is in Colossians 4, 14, and he says this, Luke the beloved physician greets you, as does Demas, and I also greet you as the doctor in residence. If anybody needs an appendectomy or something, I am, I am ready. I am ready to go. So just so you know. All right. The second time Luke is mentioned is in the book of Philemon. He says this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, that, that Mark, the Gospel of Mark guy, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Last time that Luke is mentioned uh, historically that we, that we see is uh, 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Do your best to come to me soon. This is when uh, Paul was in Rome. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Those are the only times that Luke is mentioned in the Bible. It's really interesting. Even though he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he doesn't actually give his own name in the introduction to the book, as Paul sometimes did. He just doesn't mention himself at all. But it's really interesting because he, we knew that he wrote it, and it was, it was common tradition that he wrote it. Everybody knew that Luke wrote it very early on. 
And in the book of Acts, there are these wonderful, wonderful passages where things come through, and it's, it's Paul and Silas did this, and Paul and Barnabas did that, and Paul's talking to Peter, and they did this, and they went here. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the book, there are these wonderful passages called the we passages, where Luke connects with Paul, and all of a sudden, it's we did this, and we did that, and it continues for several chapters, and then he leaves Luke again, and then it's back to they, and then later in the book, it's back to we. And so it's, it's interesting. It's almost the dog not barking, you know, to find, to find Luke in the story. You know, it, it's really, really interesting. And so doing a little bit of detective work or perhaps exploratory surgery to continue the ridiculous metaphor, um, let me just read you a couple of these we passages to give you a sense of what I'm talking about. But the next time you read the book of Acts, look for the word we. And that is drawing Luke into the story, even though he's not taking any credit for himself. Okay, so Acts 16.10, this is Luke writing. (laughs) So, passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, vision, immediately we picked up Luke with him, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They go on to Philippi. They meet Lydia. There's this great story that we'll get back to in just a second. And then in the next chapter, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, now it's back to they. They They left Luke at the church of Philippi during Paul's second missionary journey, and now it's back to they. Came to Thessalonica, there was a synagogue of the Jews, and they, they keep going. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. On Paul's third missionary journey in Acts 20, we were back to the we. But we sailed away from Philippi. Paul went back through Philippi, picked up Luke, and brought him with him on the rest of the way for his third missionary journey. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, and we stayed for seven days. And it continues with the we verses through the rest of the book of Acts. It's really, really interesting. So Paul and Luke are on this thing together. So in the big shipwreck at the end of the book of Acts, Luke is literally with him. And at the very end of the book of Acts, it says this, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. He lived there, he being Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, so this is really, really cool. So Luke wrote one of the Gospels, uh, the book of Luke, and he starts with John the Baptist. He goes back earlier than any of the other authors, and then he follows the life of Christ through his ministry, through the calling of the the disciples and the apostles, through his death and through his resurrection, and then he goes right into the book of Acts, the advent of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, Peter with the outpouring in Jerusalem, you know, the, the tongues of fire coming down with the Holy Spirit, and then you know, we have the martyrdom of Stephen and the conversion of Paul and Paul and his missionary journeys and all this stuff. And then he, he, takes, he follows Paul all the way to Rome. So Luke gives us this unbelievable account from John the Baptist all the way to Paul in Rome. He gives us this wonderful, wonderful end-to-end historical account, and we don't have anything else like it in Scripture, or I might argue even in history itself. So there's some interesting things about Luke that we learn along the way, you know, from some things around the edges, uh, from, from Paul's mentions to, of him in the three, the three passages before. So the first thing is this. He was, like myself, a doctor. <laughs> he was, you know, I, I, actually, I'm not a doctor. I, I prefer to say it this way. I'm not a doctor yet. But Luke was actually a doctor. He was a physician. He was a medic. He, he knew about stuff. 
And in Colossians 4, we learn that Luke wasn't Jewish. He says that, Paul says that he lists off a bunch of guys and says, these are all the Jews that are with me. And he goes down and says, and then there's Luke with me and a couple other people that are not Jews. Luke was the only non-Jewish biblical author. And he actually wrote, between Luke and Acts, which are longer books, a third of the New Testament. He was a great writer. Uh, scholars across the board agree, and, and digging into this this week, man, he's a beautiful, beautiful writer. Now, all of Scripture is world literature, and so it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's not hard to read, but Luke was just dialed in. He was just a beautiful writer. His detail, his eye for stuff, the way he, he tells the story, he's just very, very readable. The other thing about Luke that's incredible is he's humble. This guy was one of the big kids. He was there firsthand. He saw stuff that was amazing, but he doesn't ever mention himself by name, ever. It's just not what he does. It's just not what Luke does. He doesn't mention himself as an author. He doesn't insert himself into the stories when, honestly, in my mind, it would have been imbalanced for him to do that. It's like, man, Paul did this cool stuff, and I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. I, Luke, I'm here to tell the tale. It's like he just doesn't mention himself at all, and it's really cool that he does this. Okay, so um, he's probably, we don't know for 100% sure, but he's probably the brother of Titus. Yes, that Titus, the book of Titus, Titus. He's probably his brother. Um, he's also a historian, which is not news to anyone, but I would make the argument, uh, thinking about this this week, that he might be the most influential historian who ever's walk, who's ever walked the earth. Name anybody who has had more impact in terms of people reading a history and then doing something in their lives or doing something differently because of the history they read. Nobody can hold a candle to Luke. I promise you, within 10 miles of here, there's somebody somewhere doing a story from either Luke or Acts, maybe a bunch of people, right? A bunch of churches. Every church, every church planning conference, every leadership conference, they talk about the book of Acts, and oh, they meet together house to house, and they're breaking bread, and they do this stuff, and there's process, and they, we study Paul and the missionary journeys of Paul. He is the most influential historian who has ever walked the earth. He's probably more read than any other single historian that's ever been. Billions of people have read Luke and have benefited from his histories to us. The interesting thing, I would also make the case that Luke is also a futurist because he's writing not just to record what's happened, but he's writing to bless us by understanding what's happened and to propel us into the future. Taking us from John the Baptist to Jesus to Paul in Rome, and it's clear from the way that he writes it that this story, this story of Jesus, that this story of God's working in the earth is just getting started. So with the character sketch, we want to do a few things. So the first thing is just kind of a summary and a, and a high-level overview of the character we're talking about. So we've got a little bit of the sense of Luke, where he was. He was with Paul. He wrote some really good books. He was a doctor. He wasn't a Jew. And, you know, he was a historian. So at that point, we want to take a, a particular story and just notice a couple of things about it, and then we want to see what we can do to make application to us where we are. So the story is right after Paul meets Luke in Acts 16. So they are in Philippi at this point. So Acts 16, starting at verse 23. <laughs> and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, uh, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, them being Paul and Silas. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were <laughs> burst open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Uh, What an amazing uh, story. So this is the first instance of the Elvis song, Jailhouse Rock. Um, Apparently in this story there was, can I just say it, there was was a whole lot of shaking going on. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the the jailer, like, did you people, like, okay, my professional medical opinion, you guys have had your sense of humor surgically removed. You 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 might want to get that checked. Um, So the jailer set food before them. He actually got the food from Shake Shack. Wait for it. Yeah, okay, yeah. I've got, I've got a whole page of these we can, so we can keep going for 20 or 30 minutes, if that's okay. Um, now, in this, in, this story, in this story, there's some things that I love, and I just want to touch on it real quickly. I love the detail. I love the details. The jailer went, got some lights, and ran in. Paul, back and forth, they were singing. You know, I just love that this, Luke has such a way of bringing this story to life. It's such an evocative way of telling it. I love that Luke doesn't insert himself into the story. I don't know that he went to prison with them, but he was clearly close enough to the story to get some pretty good details of the day and of the night. He clearly took notes when it happened to recount it later. But I love that he doesn't insert himself into the story. It's so cool. It's so Luke. Um, I love that the point of the story isn't Luke. It's not Paul. It's not even the power of God to rescue his people when they're in trouble. It's the gospel. (laughs) <laughs> the point of the story is the jailer. The point of the story is the jailer going, okay, we threw you in jail. We were clearly wrong about that. What must, I, I'm in, I'm in. Clearly your God is the real thing. What do I need to do to be saved? And let's get baptized right now. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, and so they do that. I love that, that in this story, the jailers, the people who beat them, the people who imprisoned them, put them in the inner cell, fasten their feet into stocks. It's like, does Paul and Silas seem threatening to you? It's like, no, these are guys walking around. They're not, they're not you know, military guys. But they, they lock them down in the very depth of the jail. But by the end of the night, the power of God, the love of God, the gospel, Luke telling the story, the jailers stop being jailers, stop being oppressors, stop being abusers, and they turn into friends. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. And so I just, I love the way that Luke fleshes this out, and he does it through the book of Luke and through the book of Acts again and again and again and again and again. So if you have, if you have an hour, hour and a half of free time, sit down, read the book of Luke, read the book of Acts. It will bless your socks off. So what about us? Here are some things that we can learn from Luke that I'd like to, to pull into us, four quick things. Um, the first thing is this. Career doesn't have to be calling. Now we get confused about this. We think, oh, if you're working a stupid job and you don't like your boss and this and that. That's, that's terrible. You need to quit your job and follow your passion. You need to, you need to let your career be your calling. Nah, not necessarily. I think Luke has given us another line on that that's really nice and really helpful. Now, it's really cool if you could do something that you love and, and trick people into paying you for that. That's really good. But the reality is Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. But what he did was very quickly he got sucked into Paul's weird little world of the gospel emerging in the earth, and clearly that was his calling. The writing of the book of Luke 
And the writing of the book of Acts was his calling, supporting Paul in his missionary journeys. And by the way, wandering around the Mediterranean in the first century, probably a medic would be a good guy to have on the team. He might have kept Paul alive, you know, longer than than he he might have made it otherwise. Um, Some guy going, don't eat that, that's poison. You know, I'm going to use all my powers to save you. It might be a good guy to have on, on the page. But his career as a doctor, even though he was probably still a doctor and probably still dispensing medical care here and there, it wasn't his calling. His career doesn't have to be his calling. And here's an interesting thought. At the end of Paul's life, he, when he was in Rome, he was in prison. At this point, prisoners were kind of on the hook for their own upkeep. They had to, have, they had to be provided for or they didn't get fed. They had to have people give them food or you know, provide for them in some ways. And, and at this time, it was really hot to be a Christian, hot in a bad way. They were being martyred. They were being fed to the lions. Paul was about to be executed along with all of the disciples, this and that. And so Paul's team, you know, Demas had left, Titus had gone back to Dalmate, you know, all his team had kind of scattered because Paul was in jail and he was in jail because of Christianity, because of preaching the gospel. But Luke, because of his role as doctor, might have had access to Paul that the others didn't have. They could say, are you, Luke, are you one of those, are you one of those squishy Christians that's causing problems? He could say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Dr. Luke. <laughs> you know, I am Paul's personal physician. I'm here to, to check on his liver, you know, uh, and, and he could be telling the truth about that. So in the same way, your job, your classroom, your hobbies, your access to people that Dwayne doesn't have, that I don't have, you have a unique set of skills and a unique network, a unique context, a unique number of people that you get to talk to every single day, every single week. Let that be your, your calling. Your career doesn't have to be your calling. Your calling, God can use you to bless people, to touch people, to be nice to people uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a unique way. Your unique set of skills, your experience, your context gives you an open door to being God's influence to people that I would never be able to reach, that I would be never be able to have a conversation with. Through being kind, through being generous, through acting with deep integrity, through sharing the gospel directly as God opens the door. Listen, you can be Luke in these situations. Use your powers as a doctor. Use your powers as a, as a writer and, and find, find an open door. But your career doesn't have to be your calling. Luke's career was a very nice side hustle to his calling. Okay, second thing is this. Uh, don't compare yourself to Paul. <laughs> yeah, this is good. So it's so interesting. Luke goes out of his way not to draw attention to himself. And no one would have blamed him for adding his name into these stories. He was shipwrecked with Paul. God is bringing the gospel to Rome, and I was there. I saw it. What a great story. But I, love, I really love this about Luke. I'll say it again. Very good job. Um, he, he's a bit like James Madison. If you think about the founding fathers, you know, who, who are you talking about? Well, you're talking about George Washington crossing the Delaware. You're talking about J- Jefferson throwing fire with the, the Declaration of Independence and sit down and shut up. King George, if you please, you know. Uh, you have Alexander Hamilton writing the Federalist Papers. He's, he's doing all these kinds of things. He's got a nice show on Broadway. But Madison, Madison is quietly doing good work, lasting work, and he's the writer of the bunch. And what does he write? Well, he writes this nice little thing called the Constitution. You know, he, he's the guy that, you know, put pen to paper and, you know, wrote, you know, a nice little thing called the Bill of Rights. <laughs> you know, it's like, this was a good guy, and his influence is lasting to today, but if you said, hey, who's your favorite founding father? Madison's, if he makes the list at all, no one's going to say Madison first, except for me now, you know, because I, I, you know, Madison is like Luke. He's quietly writing in a way that's blessing generations to this very, very day. Everyone agrees it's pretty good, even if we go about the particulars about uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights here and there. But Madison, 
isn't worried that he isn't George Washington. He's okay with being Madison. He's okay doing what he can do. In the same way, I think that Luke came to a place where he wasn't comparing himself with Paul and benching himself because he wasn't good enough. You know, well, I'm not Paul. I'm not casting miracles. I'm just, I'm just an old lump of coal. It's like, no. Luke is, Luke is dialed into what he can do. He can support Paul. He can stay with him when everyone else scatters. He can put pen to paper and write the book of Luke and write the book of Acts. And it's this amazing, amazing thing. So if we apply that to us, stop worrying about other people. Stop it. <laughs> stop, stop comparing yourself to other people, to the girl that's prettier than you, smarter than you, who crosses the Delaware River and smacks the English before you do. Be who you are. Be who you are. Be who God made you to be. Write your book. Tell your story. Point people to God in the cool way that you can, because you can do that in a unique way, and you can celebrate what Paul is doing without being threatened by it or without comparing yourself. Okay, so the third thing is this. Uh, career doesn't have to be calling. Don't compare yourself to Paul. third thing is this. Point to the gospel. You know, I've heard somebody say, what could we do if we didn't worry about who got the credit? Yeah, that's right. We can keep our head down and we, we can do really good work. And if we stop worrying about who gets the credit or who, who gets blamed for, for this, it can be very freeing to have great work not be about you. Everything Luke does, everything he writes, everything he says, all the stuff that he's doing, his primary calling is amazing. He's the best historian to ever walk the earth. And yet, everything he does points to Jesus. He points to the works of the Holy Spirit. He points to the power of God, to the gospel in the earth. For sure, Paul is flying around the room, right? But Paul is also pointing us to heaven. The point of the story with the jail is not how amazing Paul's singing voice is. It's the power of God and the gospel reaching all the way down to the jailer and his family. I heard Keith Green say this when I was a kid. I pulled over and cried like a baby. He said, this generation of believers is responsible for this generation of souls. And that's right. This generation on earth will be reached or not reached by this generation of believers. God has put us in this time, in this place, part of his plan. And so make the most of it. Make the most of it. Don't squander the opportunity. Work hard. Do well. With your job, with your day thing, go be the best doctor you can. Go get that promotion if you can. Love your friends and love your family. But never forget, never forget that God has a bigger story for you. You're not just a doctor. You're another cool thing as well. He has a bigger story, and you are part of that story. When you, and when you write your book, whatever shape that might take, don't forget who the real hero is. So career doesn't have to be calling. Don't compare yourself to Paul. Point to the gospel. And the last thing is this. Pour into the next generation. This is, the very, uh, this is Luke uh, chapter 1, the very first uh, bit of Luke. He says this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So this is the intro to the book of Luke. Most excellent Theophilus. This is so cool. So who was, this, who was Theophilus? Who was this guy? We, the, the short answer is, we don't know, <laughs> right? He might have been an official. He might have been a benefactor helping fund the missionary journey. So, Paul, so Luke has given him an update on what he and Paul are doing and who this Jesus guy is. He might be a grocery store who, guy in Philippi who really likes to read. We don't, we don't know. Um, it might be that Theophilus was a person that Luke knew, might have even commissioned the writing of the book of Luke and Acts. We don't, we don't know for sure. Uh, people like to talk about it, but we don't, we don't know for sure. What we do know is this. The word Theophilus means lover of God or friend of God. Theo is God. 
Philos is from the word philia, which means to love, to love as a friend. And so Theophilus means lover of God, a friend of God. And so in that sense, most excellent Theophilus, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, Luke is writing to you. (laughs) You are Theophilus, right? He is writing to you, and he's writing to me, and he's writing to billions of people who have been touched by this book of Luke and by the book of Acts. So let's read this again. Let me read this again, and I want you to pretend that Luke, instead of just reading other people's mail, that Luke is writing directly to you. (laughs) It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some times past, to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent, Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Isn't Isn't that cool? Luke is writing to us. Luke wrote a biography of Christ, and he addressed it to you. He addressed it to me. So thank you, Luke, you humble weirdo. <laughs> like, you know, I, I love this. It's deeply appreciated. I, I'm, I'm glad that he did this. And when I say that Luke is a futurist, I, I mean it. I'm, I'm entirely serious about that. I think he knew. I think he had a sense of this. I think he had a vision for it. By the end of his life, that his little biography that he ghost wrote with the Holy Ghost, that it was going to be around for a while. It was probably already making some noise. It was probably already being read in the churches that he and Paul were starting and visiting. I think he was writing with the intent, writing with intention. He intended to help. He intended to solidify. He intended to, with the book of Acts, to, to show them how the big kids do it and to propel the church forward. And I think Luke today, Hebrew talks about uh, past believers who have gone to sleep, as it were, that they're in a great cloud of witnesses and they can actually see us and what we're doing and they're praying for us and they're rooting for us. I think Luke right now is delighted that people this week, right now, today, are reading his words And he's delighted that his work is still drawing people to Christ. And here's the good news. It doesn't stop with Luke. I want to encourage all of you guys to pour into the next generation and to find your own Theophilus. Um, I don't know everybody's complete story in this room. I know some of your stories, but I can say this. Every single one of you, you've had some great experiences. You've also gotten clobbered by some bad experiences. (laughs) You know, you've made some bad decisions. You've suffered when it was your fault. You've also suffered when it really wasn't your fault. It wasn't your, it wasn't your thing. But you've probably learned some things along the way. God has spoken to you in dreams. God has spoken to you through his word. God pours good things into us along the way, and we learn some stuff as we walk this earth and have some years behind us. And guess what? We can share the good stuff that we've learned. <laughs> we, we've, we've looked into this for some time past, and now we can write it down. We can share our story. We can pour into the next generation. And I don't care how old you are. If you're in middle school, tell the grade school kid who is all freaked out, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, you can, you can do that. And they'll believe you because you've been where they are before. Yes, the school picture you took the other day, it was awful. It's not your imagination. Yes, your parents will frame it and your ears are sticking straight out. And yes, they'll put it on a wall. And yes, you're going to look ridiculous in that photo for the next 50 years. But it's not the end of your story. <laughs> you know, you're going to, God has good stuff for you and you don't want to miss it. And this is not the end. Um, Last, last thing I'll say is this. Uh, so Karen, and I love to talk about Karen, especially when she's not here. Uh, I do get permission for this, by the way, I, I, most of the time. Um, so as you know, Karen is a pretty good musician. And she had a teacher when she was in high school, a guy named Eddie Drazinski. Now, every summer, she would go off to some musical camp um, for musical Wunderkinds, and you know, they would go get together, and they would have master classes, and they would play, and they would do a thing, and they'd have little symphonies, and they'd play music and, at a high level, and it was kind of fun. And she met lifelong friends at these camps. These camps are a good thing for up-and-coming uh, musicians. So 
She's playing harp at one of these camps, and one of the instructors who came in to do a harp master class was really giving her a hard time. I mean, she was all over her. She's going, no, no, play it, play it like this. No, no, you're, you're, sounding, you're sounding harsh. No, play it like this. And Karen was just having trouble getting on the page with this woman. And finally, the woman just stomped her and did it really publicly um, in, front of, in front of everybody. It finally said something like this. She said, oh, you know, don't, don't worry. Just don't, don't worry about it. Just, just stop. Some people just won't ever have a good sound. <laughs> you know, and so Karen, being the tender age of, I think she was something like 14, 15 at this point, she's pretty young, so she's completely freaked out by this. This is a woman who supposedly knows what she's doing, telling her that you stink, and doing that in a really public way, and so she's in her room doing what I would be doing. I'm crying in my room. I'm, I'm pretty freaked out, and so she calls Drzezinski, her teacher, and she tells him the story, and, and he's this southern guy from, from, I think he's from Atlanta, so he's got this little bit of draw going on, so he tells him the story, and he says, he says something like this. He says, yeah, yeah, I know her. She's an okay musician, I suppose. <laughs> you know, he says, but, but let, me, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something that's going to help you the rest of your life. Are you, are you listening to me? She says, yeah. He says, not all feedback is created equal. <laughs> okay? I, I, love that. I love that so much. Not all feedback is created equal. Your sound is fine. And guess what? Guess who Eddie Drzezinski was? He was the principal harp for the Chicago Symphony when he said those words to her. So his words carried some weight. And, you know, it's like he's talking about this, this woman. going, Yeah, I, I know she's not as good as she thinks she is. But I'm telling you that your sound is fine. And he was considered to be one of the best harpists walking the earth. Not all feedback is created equal. Giddy up. But let me tell you something. In that moment, Drzezinski was doing exactly what I'm talking about. What was he doing? He was pouring into the next generation. He had a moment. He had a divine moment. And, and listen, Karen was all freaked out. And he said, your sound is fine. <laughs> and guess what? Last week, I saw Karen play at Carnegie Hall, and her sound was fine. <laughs> I mean, like, her sound was really warm. It was really delightful. Turns out that Drzezinski's not an idiot. He knows what he's talking about, you know? So not all feedback is created equal. Someone might stomp you, or you might have someone in your influence that, that just gets crushed by some, you know, prancing chuckle face that is, that is stomping on them. And you can give them a doctoral second opinion. You can come in and swoop in and go, wait, 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 wait. Your sound is fine. In your influence, in your work, in your calling, you will experience moments where you will have a chance to speak life, blessing, God's wisdom into the next generation. Don't miss those moments. They're divine appointments. Look for them. Jump on them. Make the most of them. So find your Theophilus, your Theophilus, and write them a good and orderly account. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for everything that you're doing, and I thank you for, for everything that you are. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be the author and the finisher of our faith, that, that our history with you would be a good one, that you would draw us into a sense of what you're doing and who you are. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, the account and the continuation of Luke's work that, that you are writing in us. In Jesus' name. <laughs>